0: Well, we are so glad that you've joined us here on this Christmas Eve. Kids, you are beautiful, and you are so smart, teaching us so much. Are you ready for Christmas, kids? Oh, yes, you are. The question is, is Dad ready for Christmas? The ultimate procrastinator, right, Dad? Amazon will not help you out tonight. It's too late for that. So what do you want for Christmas this year? Kids, on the count of three, Yell it out loud. What you want most of all for Christmas, just in case mom and dad forgot. Are you ready? What you want for Christmas. One, two, three. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. So what do you want for Christmas, big kids? More importantly, what do you need for Christmas? Let me put it another way. What do you need for Christmas this year that actually money can't buy? That's why it's not on anybody's list. you know Amazon doesn't source it, money can't procure it. What do you need this Christmas 2019 that money can't buy? Trust me, in the busyness of this season, you haven't thought about it. Our lives are so harried, we get caught up in the lights, or we get caught up in the mood, and it's not always a good one. We haven't actually thought about what we need at our heart of hearts this Christmas. i like to suggest that so what we need this Christmas that money can't buy is everything that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. Let me just suggest a couple of categories of things that we need that money can't buy. For a bunch of us, we need wisdom and discernment for a big decision in our life. Maybe it's a decision about a relationship we're in. Maybe it's a decision about, you know, our job. Taking a new job, just getting to uh, work well with the people that we work for and with. Maybe it's wisdom at school, what to study. Should I keep going on? (laughs) Wisdom to figure out, how am I going to graduate? We need wisdom. Wisdom for the decisions we need to make for aging parents. Wisdom every day that we need as a parent who is raising up kids. We need wisdom. There's a bunch of us, though, that need strength. Strength for the new normal in our lives as we're... uh, we're dealing with health conditions and diagnoses and, and maybe the big C word for the first time in our life. For others, we need strength to just deal with the sadness and we've lost a loved one and the silence of that spouse now gone before us just grows louder all the time. The hurt and the pain just gets deeper and deeper. Maybe we need Strength to just do life now on our own as we're on the other side of a divorce. Strength to to face some of the financial challenges. Strength to break that addiction that actually has been wrecking our lives and ruining our relationships for the first time in our life that we could actually be freed from this, which is killing us. For some of us, though, actually what we're looking for is just a good friend. Someone who would accept us and love us unconditionally. Unconditionally. We want this sense of belonging to invade our lives and our hearts to push away the loneliness that seems to describe the emptiness that we have. We're looking for unconditional love for a group of people that would open their arms to us and there'd be this mutual respect and care and love for each other. Still for others, it's peace. Oh, I mean, it'd be great to have peace in this world, but actually what we're wanting this Christmas, what we need is peace in our world. Peace for the fractured relationships that are everywhere around us. Some of it is our close friend or used to be close friend. Some of it's a toxic work environment. We need peace there. But for a lot of us, the big stressor of Christmas is often the lack of peace in our families. We need peace in our fractured marriages. Peace for a dad and his son to come together for this relationship that's soured and broken and you haven't spoken to each other and how long for there to be peace. For some of us, actually, the peace that we need is peace with ourselves. With who we are, with actually where we are, which we didn't see ourselves here at this time in life. When we were writing the the script of our movie, this was not what we were writing and we're longing for peace. Some of us still looking for peace for the things that we've done in the past that haunt us today and we're looking for peace in the face of some of this guilt that we just can't shake. Everything that you and I need this Christmas that money can't buy has come to us that first Christmas when God gave his son. He's described as the indescribable gift of God. As a church family this month of December, we've been focusing in on Christmas and looking at it from the vantage point of an Old Testament writer, his name is Isaiah. He was a prophet, he spoke for God, of the people of God, some 700 years before Christ. And he tells us a lot about what we should expect in this coming savior. That there would be this virgin who would give birth to a son and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That he would be this servant And he'd be strong and powerful, and he'd bring in unending and everlasting peace and righteousness and justice. He'd be a suffering servant who would give his life for us, paying the punishment of our sin, that he would suffer injustice, that he would die on our behalf, and that he would be raised from the dead. And then in chapter 9, we save this verse for the last It's this beautiful fourfold title of Jesus in chapter nine, verse six, where God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to his people then and to us today. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." I wanna go through those four tiles real quick and help you see that the things that we actually really desperately need that money can't buy are the very things that God is offering to us through that very first Christmas, the best Christmas gift ever, Jesus Christ. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the wisdom of God to help us navigate life. We look for a counselor to help us show us the way forward to orientate us to what is true about ourselves and our circumstances. And Jesus is God's wisdom who guides us. And his wisdom is described as wonderful. That's the word that means supernatural. It's extravagant. It's marvelous. It's the same word wonderful that was used to describe God's miraculous deliverance of his people from Egypt out of slavery. He's the wisdom of God that orientates us from w- to where we are to where we need to go in life. And wisdom, biblically speaking, is far more than knowledge. It's a knowledge that gives us the skill for living rightly. And then we find out that there's this power. He's mighty God that helps us live life rightly. Mighty God is only and always used to describe God himself. And yet we're told that the Son born, as we find out later in the New Testament, in a manger, in a feeding trough, is none other than mighty God. Doesn't look so mighty in his birth. Doesn't look so mighty in the 30 years of obscurity. Doesn't look so mighty as he's hanging on the cross. But Jesus Christ is the author of all creation, the Bible says. So powerful is he that when God spoke this world into existence, it was Christ, the word of God, that's the power of creation. And we see his power as he healed people, right? The sick and the blind and the lame, helping heal them, helping them walk and see and the deaf hear. He was the one who could raise the dead and the most kind of unexpected demonstration of his power and might is when he laid aside his rights as God to defend himself and he took on the posture of a servant who died as a ransom in our place for our sin he's a mighty God but he's not just a mighty God who's big and strong and way off he's our everlasting father We're kind of surprised. He's just been telling us that he's this son that's been born and been given, and yet now he's described as a father. Is Isaiah confused here? Because the Bible's clear there's one God who exists in three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's what he's telling us In his relationship to the Father, Jesus is always the Son. But in his relationship to us, he loves us like a father. Not your father, not my father. Even a great dad like I had, maybe a great dad that you are right now. We know we're not perfect, but he is the perfect, everlasting, loving father that loves you right now unconditionally, which means there's nothing you've ever done. There's nothing you could do more of where God would say, oh, I love you less because or I love you more because he loves you perfectly. And as a father, we're reminded that that means there's a relationship opportunity here as we come under his leadership. What do fathers do? Well, they protect us. They provide for us. They, they enfold us into their family so that we're now sons and daughters in relationship to him. And he is that loving father who will never leave us or forsake us, but he's never gonna force the issue. And he demonstrated his love best when his arms were spread open, pinned to a Roman cross. Not only that, he's the prince of peace, the ruler of peace, the peace that passes human understanding, that brings things that are divided together. He brings us together with God when he paid the punishment for our sin. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses five and six, we read this about Christ and how he brings us peace. He was pierced for our transgressions, big word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, another big word. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He brings peace with God because he took on our punishment. But the peace of God is really different than the kind of peace that sometimes we're longing for. That's gonna come one day when Jesus makes all things right. But until then, we have a peace that's not described by there's no longer conflict, there's no longer tension, there's no longer any dissonance or stress and anxiety in our life, so now we have peace. No, actually, peace is a sense of wholeness and well-being, even when things are crazy all around us. There's a great picture of this when Jesus is asleep in the boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples there, many of them who are these brave, strong fishermen, and he's asleep in the midst of the storm. This beautiful picture of peace. It's crazy all around him, but he's at peace, asleep. His disciples are freaking out, and they think they're gonna die, and that's why they wake him up, and they go, Jesus, don't you care that we're gonna die? Do something about this storm. Interesting that they thought he could do something about that storm, and something he did. He simply spoke The words, peace, be still, and the stormy sea went crystal clear glass. He's the prince of peace that brings peace in our relationship with God and peace in our relationships with each other. So the question is, how do you get this? And the answer, it's through Jesus. It's through him. There's nothing you have to do to earn this relationship with God. Jesus has done the work for us. And just like the gifts that we give, they're freely given. Kids, none of your parents, right, are gonna say after you open all the gifts, all right, Johnny, those gifts cost $52.73. Get your piggy bank and pay us back. My dad's not gonna say that. If they do, we're gonna be looking for new moms and dads, right? No, it's a gift. It's freely given. It's not anything that we can do to earn it or deserve it. See, the people in Isaiah's day, they were confused. They thought, man, we're such religious people because they were offering all kinds of sacrifices, uttering all kinds of prayers, doing all kinds of re- religious activity around the feasts and the festivals. But Isaiah in chapter one said, You guys, you're all about this religious stuff. It's all external stuff, it's not of the heart. You guys don't love God because you don't love your neighbor, the most vulnerable around you. You guys need a savior and we need a savior. And that gift, again this Christmas, and every day of your life, is waiting for you to open it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you've done to deserve it. You can't buy it. But we open it, the Bible says, through faith. When Isaiah talks to his people, he says, come on you guys that are hungry and longing for more. That's like us. What are all the places that we're turning and looking to for this kind of wisdom, for this kind of strength and power that we need, for this kind of love? Where are we looking for peace? I can tell you this, wherever we look that isn't Jesus, we'll always still be hungering. In Isaiah 55, Isaiah, speaking for God, says, Come, seek me. Call for me while I may be found. Turn away from all these things you've been looking to and turn to me. And as you turn to me in faith, you will receive mercy and forgiveness and hope and peace. There's no other leader that you could give your life to like Christ, the one who was born to die, the one who loves you so much that he's not gonna put you in a full Nelson in this kind of super wrestling sleeper hold where you got to tap out of it. He continues to pursue you with his love and grace and he calls you this Christmas. For some of us, he's calling us back to where we once were. For some of us, he's calling us for the first time to open the gift, God's great indescribable gift of his son. And here's what I can tell you. When you surrender your life to Christ, everything doesn't become easy, but everything dramatically changes, and your life will never be the same. I want you to hear George's story and all that happened to him many Christmas Eves ago when he needed Christ. Um, uh,
1: This Christmas, uh Nancy and I will be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, while we've had many, many wonderful years together, uh, we started out in a very rough, a very difficult way because for our first two years, I was an alcoholic. I understood Uh, who God was and how much he loved me and Nancy likewise we were both raised in in good church families but uh, Christmas Eve uh, I came home from a part-time job where I worked and I was uh, completely drunk and uh, unfortunately Nancy and I had planned on going to uh, the Christmas Eve service that night with our young son Brian but I was in no condition to do so and thankfully she went off to the church and uh, and I stayed at home, passed out. The Lord came to me in a very real way uh, that night, Christmas Eve, and uh, made it very clear to me that, uh, that He had died for my sins many, many years ago and paid the price for the hell I was taking my wife and young child through at that time. And uh, He made it very clear to me that evening that I could be forgiven for my sins. I could understand His grace and His mercy and all that He had done for me as my Lord and Savior. And I turned my life over to Him. Nancy came back from church uh, an hour later. Uh, I was completely sober. She couldn't even smell the alcohol uh, on me anymore. It was just a matter of an hour and a half. and uh, And so God changed my life that night. Once the Lord really got a hold of me and challenged uh, me and Nancy to engage in public life, I was able to run for the state senate and we won in 1990. Actually on my birthday I was elected. The most important vote I think I ever cast was to build Miller Park and to keep the Milwaukee Brewers in Wisconsin. And uh, we're satisfied that we served the Lord while doing all of that. And uh, I haven't had a drink in 45 years. And uh, it is God's grace that's enabled me to say that. That He turned my life around, and uh, thankfully, uh, He has been a a very real and very meaningful part of my life since then.